Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was reading through some scripture, and I, and I ran, across, uh, ran across this one. Uh, Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And, and, and it kind of hit me. It kind of knocked me backwards a little bit there. And, and I wanted to think about it. And I've been thinking about it off and on ever since then. I think it's an interesting uh, turn of phrase. And, and so I started wondering what it was exactly that he wanted us to test. Now, I don't think, for whatever this is worth, that it's about testing how much sin you've got in your life. Because we all have sin in our life. I mean, we've all got things we wish wasn't there. Some of the sin is obvious and other people know about it. And some of the sin is subtle and, and we know about it and others don't. And some of the sin uh, that we have is, is showing on us even though we don't know it's showing on us. Like uh, people know that you're kind of an angry person or they know you're kind of impatient or they know you're kind of stingy and you don't know they know but they do. And, uh, and, but it's not that. I don't think it's that, even though I think everybody has stuff like that, and I think everybody ought to pay attention to it. I don't think that's exactly what he's after here. It seems like he's saying, decide whether or not you're really a Christian. Take a hard look at it and decide whether or not Jesus is actually moving in you. That it's like a, and it reminded me like of a recertification test. I know some of you probably have jobs where you have to every so often recertify or re-prove uh, 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 that, you, that you know what you're doing. You know, depending on what the training is, that you're still that you still all know all the rules. When we first uh, got into ministry, we lived in Tennessee, and uh, in Davidson County, there in Nashville, uh, we were right right beside that. And and that part of the state, at least, maybe the whole state does, but at least that part of the state does. It requires you to have your car certified every year to make sure it's pollution free. And my car at the time was a really bad car. I was driving this Regal. I've mentioned it before in sermons. I had to put a quart of oil every time I filled the gas tank up. Uh, and so I just knew it wouldn't pass. And we would get ready for the test. I knew the test was coming every year. And I would, I would do everything I could to make it do better. You know, I would change the oil and, and uh, put the really high premium gas in. I'm not sure it made any difference. I would detail it on the outside, hoping that would impress the guy. It smells real bad, but look how clean it is, that kind of thing. And every year I passed and I don't know how bad you had to be to fail because, again, I was putting a quart of oil in every time I filled the gas tank. So I don't know how bad you had to be. But I remember being worried about it. You know, how embarrassing would it be to have to not be able to drive around and do your job and have to be begging people to help you? And, and, that would, and I was worried about it. And then we moved from Tennessee. My second church was in California. And California also cares about the emission stuff. But in addition to that, when you first move into California, they really pound you with that driver's license test. The way they phrase it, the way they put it together, it's kind of a complicated test. It's not, it's not easy to, to do well on. We were warned by several people, you want to study for this because they try to get you on the first one. I don't know why California does that. Uh, maybe a way to make more money on taxes or something. I don't know, but, but they do. And I remember studying real hard because I wanted to make sure I passed my test. Because again, how embarrassing would it be? And it was a hard test. I, I passed, but it was a hard test the way they had it all put together. How embarrassing would it be to not be able to get your driver's license when you were 30, I don't know, three or four years old, or however old I was at the time. Then we moved to Indiana. Indiana didn't care about either of those things. Hey, you want a license? Here, get one. And they didn't seem to care about it, and I, it wasn't as big a deal. But I remember how tough that felt at the time, being worried about it. And I know for some of your jobs, you may worry about that. You may have some, uh, some things like that. You're worried that if I don't do well on this test that I'll, I'll have to take a step back, or if I don't do well on this test that it could even affect my livelihood. 
And, and I think that gets closer to what Paul's after here in this verse. I mean, decide whether or not this is really something you believe. Decide whether or not this is really something that you, that you care about. Uh, if I had total control of everything, and I don't at our church, and, and that's a good thing, but if I did have total control of everything, I would probably make membership a one-year commitment. That when you joined the church, it was good for one year. At the end of a year, you'd decide again whether you wanted to join again with the understanding that members do certain things. This is what membership is. I think there's a, a possibility at our church, and not just our church, but any church, uh, to join that church and then, and then kind of fall off the radar and not attend again for 30 or 40 years. But then in the paper, when you die, it'll say they were a member of Mount Pleasant. And, and, and I don't know that we shouldn't make that mean something more than just that, you know? Now, I'm not the, the boss of the church, and we're not going to do that. And, and there's no test that a person has to take to prove that they're a Christian. Because, again, we're saved by grace. You know, it's not, it's not that you're never going to be good enough to be qualified to go to heaven. You're never going to be good enough to be qualified to check all the boxes. And I'm not suggesting that. I want to be real clear. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, Christ is qualified. We tie ourselves to Jesus because he's good enough. You know, we're just dust and ashes. And, and, and any one of us, if we were being honest, carries a lot more sin around than, than is good or healthy or right. We all know that about ourselves. It's him that gets us there, not us. But this verse, you know, there, there's still something valuable about every so often taking a hard look at where you stand with Jesus. Do I still want to do this? Is it still important to me? Is this the kind of thing that, that, that I want to build my life and continue to build my life around or not? And so I wanted to talk about that just a little bit today because I, I think that's kind of the tone that Paul has. F first off, if you read the whole book, this is 2 Corinthians 13.5. If you read the whole book of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that, that Paul responds through most of that book to shots that the Corinthians were taking at him. Uh, the Corinthians had said about Paul, he's not that impressive when he speaks, or he's not that, you know, why are we listening to this guy? Who's he think he is anyway? And so Paul's responding to that. Like they had wondered if he was even, are you really even an apostle? Are you really somebody that we have to listen to? And so Paul, all through the letter, is responding to that. And then here in chapter 13, verse 5, he kind of turns it around on them. And he says, you know, you've been asking me all these hard questions. What about you? Maybe you need to think about where you stand. And, and I think that to, to understand the verse, you've got to start right there, you know. Jesus says something similar. Why would you judge somebody else with a speck in their eye when you've got this big log in yours? So, so before you look at somebody else and tell them what they should do, you should look at yourself first and see if, where you are. And, and I think Paul's, this verse has some of that in it. It has some of that in it uh, with the word examine, examine yourself, and the word test in that second line, you know, test yourselves. And, and, and examine's a, a hard word, test is an even harder word. Like uh, if somebody comes and says, hey, look at my car, do you like it? I might, I might examine it, say, yeah, it's a pretty good looking car. But then they say, you want to buy it, well, then I'm going to test it. Test is even harder. Test, then I'm going to want to get into the engine. I'm going to want to test drive it myself. I'm going to, maybe I will have a mechanic look at it. And the more expensive the purchase is, the more I'm going to test it, right? The more valuable it is. Like if I were to buy a house, 
I might have a carpenter come in and check the foundation or check the air conditioning or the, or, or the, you know, how long do you think I get, I'll get out of this roof and have them really examine it. If I have to go to get a loan at the bank and they're making an investment at the bank, before they make this big investment in me, they're going to want to test it. They're going to want one of their appraisers to take a look at it and see if the house is really worth what I'm paying. And the more expensive it is, the harder I'm going to look at it. The harder I'm going to care, the more I'm going to care, right? And we see this on the certification stuff that we do too. Uh, a doctor, if he's recertifying to do a certain medicine, I would assume that's pretty rigorous. I would assume for something as important as that, they had really put somebody like that through the grinder. On the other hand, when we were in Florida, to, to, I, I rented a jet ski and they made me take a boating test. And I don't even think the guy cared about it, but it was the law. And so he, I was looking at one question. Hey, I don't understand what you're asking here. He goes, oh, it's, it's B. <laughs> but I would assume doctor's tests don't go that way, right? When a doctor's getting his test, they don't do that. Oh, it's, it's B. Just write B down. You'll be fine. You know? No, on that one, they really care. Because the more important the test is, the more important the deal is, or the more expensive it is, well, you're really going to want to look. Well, this is your soul we're talking about. This is your one and only life, and there's no chance to do a do-over. You know, most of the stuff in our lives, even the big stuff, if you make a mistake, you can probably fix it. It may take a long time, but, but I mean, a person could go bankrupt and then become a millionaire. We hear those stories. A person lose everything, and then now they're on top of the world. We, we know how those stories go. A person could have a really bad first marriage and then marry a second time, and it goes really well. You know, and, 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 and even on things that really mess up in the first one, the second one can be completely different. We've seen those things. We know those things happen. But on your soul, your one and only life, there's no do-over. If at the end of your one and only life, and there's nothing in your life worth more than your soul, the car or the house or the clothes that you buy, they're wearing out the minute you buy them. But your soul... Paul says, is, is, getting, is getting stronger and, and, and in a way younger every day. You're getting more vibrant every day. Your soul is going somewhere in God. And you don't want to mess up with that. So we examine ourselves. We test ourselves. What are we testing for? We're not testing for sin because we know that's there. We're testing to see if Christ is in us. Because if Christ is in us, there's going to be some changes. Christ being part of my life, me thinking about Christ, me focusing on Christ, me engaging in Christ will change me. He changes me. I don't have to, there is some work on my part too, I don't mean that, but, but he's changing me. As an example of what I'm, I'm talking about, uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now fruit is just the, you plant a crop, it produces, right? Plant comes out of the ground and here's the fruit. You don't have to work for it. It's just there. The plant does all the work. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, or forbearance in this translation, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When Christ is moving in me, when his Spirit is moving in me, I should see some of this stuff. And I should see it increasing, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not the most uh, patient guy in the world, but hopefully I'm more patient now than I used to be. You know, and, and, if, and I can tend to judge myself too easy, but hopefully 
If you ask the people around me, if you ask my, my wife, you ask my kids, you ask some of my friends, they would see some of these things. They would know that I'm faithful. You can count on him. Even if it hurts, you can count on him. But I would be gentle, right? I mean, these are all things that, that are starting to grow in me. And it, it's not because I'm working so hard at it. It's because Christ is in me. It doesn't mean you can't work at it. You sure can. And, and we all should do the very best. We. It's good to be good. But, but, but if, if Christ is in me, these things should start popping up. And if I want to test myself, that's a pretty good test to see if Christ is in me. Do I have those things? I, I read about um, somebody this week who would read this passage every day. Uh, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And what this, this person would do when they would read this, I'll go back to the first one, when they would read it, they would insert their name in there. So instead of love is patient, it would be Jeff is patient. Jeff is kind, and they would try to see how far they could go before it would be a lie. Well, for me, it'd be the first one. Jeff is, I'm not patient, so it'd be, it'd be the very first one. And so, again, this could become kind of a test. And you could say, well, am I growing in this? And, and what this person did is when they read it, they would try to take four at a time. And they would pray through it, and if they hit one that they really didn't feel very good about, they would stop right there and they would pray about it. So I'd have to stop on the first one and pray that God would help me with my patience. Help me, God, to, to be patient, to see how people are, and to, and to hope for more. The very last thing on this one, love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, I keep records of wrongs. You hurt my feelings or burn me, I'm going to remember it, and I'm going to want to make it right, and I'm not, I may not give you a second chance once you hurt me real bad the first time. But love doesn't do that. And so, again, I'd have to stop right there and say, God, I don't want to be this kind of person. I want to be a person like Jesus. I want to be the kind of person like Jesus who, 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 who doesn't get rattled the same way other people get rattled. I don't want to be the same kind of person I used to be. And I don't want to be the same kind of person so many people are. I, I want to be like you. I, I go through all this thing. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. That'd be the one I'd get smacked around on. When you say it hopes, it means it always looks for the best. I'm always hopeful that you're going to do the right thing. And not hopeful like, well, I hope it works out, but I don't think it will. But I mean, I'm really pulling for you to do the right thing. If, if I was always hopeful in, a, in an argument with Julia, I, would, I wouldn't say, well, you always do this or you never do this because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be expecting her to fail. I'd be expecting her to succeed. And I'd be pushing for that. And so I could go through this whole list and I could stop and I could pray, God, I want to see this in my life. I want to be like you. This would also be a good test, like the fruit of the Spirit, to see if I'm in the faith. And Paul says, back to that verse, well, test yourselves. I mean, take a hard look at your life. Are, are you becoming the sort of person that you're supposed to be? Are you becoming the sort of person uh, that really shows Christ? Not just in the things they say, but in, in how they act. When my kids were, were, were younger and they were first starting to, to think about uh, having a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and the advice that I would give to them is, uh, you don't pay too much attention to what they say. You pay attention to what they do, um, especially with my daughters. And if, if there's any high school girls in the room here or, or younger girls in the room here, I, I'll give you a tip. 
boys will say anything. Uh, men will say anything uh, to get you to do what they think you ought to do. So don't pay attention to what they say. Pay attention to what they do. What kind of person are they? Well, all of those verses we just read are doing things. Am I, am I doing the right kind of thing? Am I becoming the right sort of person? I don't want to be a person who talks like a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want my life to, and if we're talking about recertifying or requalifying, I hope that this is something that's, that I always want to do, that I always want to push for. So I'm going to toss out one other test, and it's, it goes with our, our, uh, our slogan, our mission, our motto is to, we want to know Christ, love others, and serve the world, and that's what these three things are. Am I getting smarter and better about my knowledge of God? Am I knowing him better? Do I know him better this year than I did last? And as we think about going forward in the future, am I still excited and motivated to read Scripture and to pray? Uh, and you may say no, and that's okay. Be honest with yourself. No, I'm not very motivated for that. No, I'm not very excited about that. Sometimes it's really hard. I just want to challenge you to push yourself a little bit. Remembering at the point of reading through Scripture is not to read a big chunk of Scripture, but to have part of it really get into your heart and your life. You know, you could do much worse than just reading that passage in 1 Corinthians, what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, and just read that and meditate on it. God, this is who I want to be. You could do much worse than reading a passage like that maybe every day for a month. Just really asking God to, to pour that into you. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And just read. He's talking about what the kingdom looks like. And just read those three chapters over and over and over and over and over again. Might be the most powerful reading you could do. Um, other people, and I've been doing this for some time, will go through a, a plan to read through Scripture in a year. And every day I'm going to try to read a little more and try to get through my Bible in, in a year. And I've read it through several times now. And sometimes, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the, when you do that approach, the, the passage you get that day may not be a, a real meaningful passage to you. That happens occasionally. But, but I find that as if, I'm, if I'm disciplined, when I'm disciplined, I am consistently and continually finding things in Scripture now that I've never noticed before. There's still verses that when I think about it and meditate on it, speak to me in a powerful way that I hadn't considered. God is still using his word to change my life, and I think he'll use it to change yours. And then pray. I'm not a, a great prayer. Some people can pray and pray and pray for hours and hours and hours, and, I, and I've never been that kind of person. When I get quiet to pray, my mind immediately wanders to different things I could be doing. So to slow my mind down when I pray, a lot of times I'll go someplace, a hike is helpful for me, and while I'm hiking, I'll pray. I'll try to go to a quiet room where there's nothing there but me and, and just try to really focus best I can on God. I don't beat myself up too bad if it doesn't go a super long time. Uh, I just want to make sure I'm consistent to do it often, that I want to pray continually, like, God, like the, Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I want to keep track of my prayers and see how God moves through them. Because a lot of times when I pray for something, God does move through it. I'll ask God for someone to be healed or for something to get better, and it does get better, and God moves. And, and there's such a power in just seeing that. You know, if you're part of Mount Pleasant Church, no matter what part you are in Mount Pleasant Church, from the little preschool classes all the way to a class for uh, retired adults, we're going to mention in anything we teach sooner or later that you should be reading your Bible and praying. Why do we pound away at this? Because it's life. 
And if you're a Christian and you're not doing it, it's like a carpenter who says he'll just eyeball everything. And maybe you're that kind of carpenter, but you'd never hire that kind of carpenter. You want somebody who's going to be a little more careful to go back and, and measure and check. And that's what praying is, and that's what reading is. It's, it's making sure that your life is in sync with God. Have you been building deep relationships? I find about myself that I'm an introvert. I've mentioned that before. It's hard for me to make small talk. Uh, uh, we did this thing the other night uh, where we had everybody on the hill, and I'm kind of wandering around. And there, there were some people there I hadn't seen before, and so I'll go introduce myself to them. Hi, I'm Jeff. Hey, I'm Chuck. Okay, Chuck, good to see you, and I, I don't know what else to say after that, you know, and, uh, and I don't know, it's hard to know what to talk about, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fast on my feet with that sort of thing, and, and, and it's awkward. And so because I'm like that, I can have a tendency to either hide myself and just keep myself with just me and Julia, which I can manage, or just my family, which I can manage, or maybe just the friends I already have, but there's such great power and starting to invest in deep relationships with other Christians. Jesus says, wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm right there. And, and there's some real power in, in getting together with people who are not like you, who don't think like you, who don't vote like you, who don't dress like you, who don't care about the same things you care about. When, when we get together with people, and the big thing we have in common with them is that they believe in Jesus like we believe in Jesus, well, then, then Jesus is what holds you together. That's our common thread. And, and what I have found, and I've found it consistently, the people who are able to face a crisis in this life and have their faith come out of it intact are those people who have invested deeply in a whole web of Christian relationships. There's just such a power in that. Uh, to know that when I'm going through my life, there's this whole network of people who care about me, and we're in this together, and, and we're watching each other. We're not keeping each other straight. We've all got sin, but, but, but we're watching out for each other. We're, we're hoping and praying for each other. I don't want to let them down, I, I, and I want to lift them up. You know, we push uh, with the little guys. We push for you to get your little guys, the, the kids involved in the, in the programs. Why do we do that? Well, it's just child care for the adults. Well, I guess that's part of it, but that's not the main reason. The main reason we try to do things for the little guys, even the really little guys, is that if they can build some relationships there and make some friendships there, those friendships, you know, when they get a little older in high school or even older still, some of those long-term friendships we have with other people in Christ, those are the things that keep us straight. You know, a lot of my knucklehead friends in high school that, that I was so close to, I didn't stay close to them after high school because the only thing we really had in common is we went to the same building eight hours a day. But, but, but those Christian friends of mine that I make and have made through my life, man, I'm, I, I've got some friends that I've had in Christ for years. And we get together and we're still just as good of friends as we've ever been. And there's a power in that. You know, as a parent... For you to invest that part of your life and help your kids make those relationships, that almost certainly is going to pay off. It, it almost certainly is going to pay off. And when you think about those times, any one of you, when you've kind of wandered away from Christ and you've kind of wandered away from faith, it probably was during a stretch where if you had to be honest, you just didn't have that many Christian friends. More of your close friends were outside the church and they were against the things that the church believed in. Now, it's not about brainwashing yourself. I want you to have friends all over. 
I want you to have friends, as many friends as you can, of, of as many different types as you can. Invest in friends. Friends are great no matter what. But in the middle of investing in those things, you want to make sure that you build some friendships with people who are of like mind and like faith with you. It's going to bless you later on. And I guess in that same regard, I should mention, we're trying to push people who are, who are a little older in the faith, a little bit older in the faith, to look for people who are coming up that you can invest in. You know Eric who did communion here earlier and he's talking about those guys in his past who, who, who meant so much to him. Who are those guys going to be for this generation? Well, it's going to be one of you guys. You know, for any of the teenagers in this generation, who's that going to be? Well, it's going to be one of you all. And those other guys Eric mentioned, they're gone. They've passed away. They, they're not here anymore. So for the younger generation coming up, who's going to be the one to take those guys along? And when, when, when those guys are Eric's age, you know, here's why I'm a Christian, because of these three or four people who invest. Who's that going to be if not you? So we invest in that thing. And then last, am I, being, am I becoming more generous? We talk about knowing Christ, loving others, and serving the world. Serving is generosity, and am I being more generous? And that is money, but it's not just money. It's not just money. On, on the money thing, certainly, I hope that you're getting more generous as you get older. I hope it's getting easier and easier for you to let go of money than it used to be. Should. If Christ is in you, that should happen. If Christ is in you, Christ was supremely generous. Christ said that whoever wants to save their life will have to lose it, and whoever loses their life will get it in the end. So, so he was fantastically generous, and hopefully the longer you follow him, the more you're like that too. And that includes money. For sure, it includes your resources, it includes your stuff. But it's not, it's not just money. And, and maybe at some level, it's not even primarily money. You, you know, I've known for a long time that if I stood up in front of the church and said, hey, there's this really big thing going on this week, I need everybody to pitch in, and everybody either give me two hours of volunteer time this week or $20. Most people, $20, you say, and they'll give me the $20. And, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't do the other, or they just leave. <laughs> Oh, it's in the car, my billfold. I'll be right back. And then they're gone. And they don't do either of those things. But they won't, but they, the, the two hours is hard. You know, two hours. I don't have two hours. My, my whole week is planned. I mean, I don't know if I've got two hours to get, I don't two, two hours for anybody. And, 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 and we hold on so tightly to all that. You know, you might think that when you retire, well, then all the hours are free. But that's not how it works because you still want all those hours. They're mine. They're all mine. What were you going to do with the next two hours? I was going to watch Jeopardy, but they're my hours, and I want to watch Jeopardy, and that's what I'm going to do. And they're my hours, and I'm not sharing them with anybody else. And so hopefully as you are tied to Christ, you can look at some concrete ways that you're giving more. It's important for you to volunteer. It's important for you to volunteer even if we don't need it. It's important for you to volunteer. Why? Because you're giving away your time. And Jesus says, does he not? It's more blessed to give than receive. Now at Christmas, you see how that works. At Christmas, when you were a kid, you just wanted to get, but hopefully, as you're an adult, you're seeing the joy of giving to somebody else. When you really bless somebody with something they needed and wanted, and you see their face light up, I mean, there's, that's, that's worth a lot. But that's like that in everything you give. Do you believe in Jesus or not? Do you believe he's telling the truth? He says, more blessed to give than receive. So if he's telling the truth, you will get more out of it 
when you volunteer to teach or to lead or to, to guide, to, to, we're doing a bed ministry. They just thought we're going to build beds for kids who don't have beds in this town. And so you come in there and you use your carpentry skills to, to build some bed and you deliver it to the house of some kid who doesn't have a bed before and now he's got a bed. And, and, and Jesus says, you'll get more out of that than you give away. And you know that's true. I mean, you, you, you know it's true. So you learn to give. And this is a great test to see if you're growing in your faith. Am I, am I knowing the Lord better? Am I investing in relationships more? Am I becoming more generous? Now, when I first got started as a Christian, and I was just a young guy, I would think to myself, well, you know, one day I'll grow into that. One day I'll get there. I'm not there yet, but one day I'll get there when I'm older and wiser and, and, and maybe have more time. Because when you're a kid, you're just thinking about everything starting, right? I got a car payment, and I'm trying to get my house, uh, and you know, I've got this really bad house. I'm trying to make it into something, and my kids are starting school, and there's just so many different things going on. I don't have time to breathe. But one day, when things finally slow down, then I'll do that. And Paul speaks to that. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You set an example. You know, it might be the 20-year-old or the 30-year-old who's really going to shake this church. And Jesus, remember, was just 30 years old when he did all the things he did. Now that I'm older, the weird part is I do the same thing but in reverse. I think I'm, I'm older now. I need these young guys to get and do this stuff. They got more energy. They got more, they got more uh, you know, I've, I got all these other responsibilities. that I've got. I'm in charge of this and in charge of that and in charge of this other thing. And, and, and the younger guys need to come in there and do it. And, uh, and I think that he's going to, I think this verse could be for me too. Just don't let anyone look down on you because you're older. You set an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're uh, uneducated or because or, or you're super educated or because you're a man or a woman or a child or it doesn't matter. You set an example. On this older thing too, Jesus says uh, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. The, the illustration that he's talking about here is new wine is still fermenting. It's still expanding. And wineskins are animal skins. And old animal skins would be, would be uh, brittle. They'd be hard. So you don't put new wine, which is expanding, into a hard case. It'll just blow up, right? You, you put it in something that has some give to it, or you leave a little air in there so it has some give to it so that it can expand, Right? You don't only put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine and the skins will all be ruined. You know, the danger of getting older is you get set in your ways, and you start thinking to yourself, I don't need to change anything anymore. I've got it pretty much figured out. And the danger of getting set like that is that Jesus is still expanding. He's always asking for more. He wants all of it. And if I get real rigid then I'm going to suffer in that exchange because God has more things still for me to do. I hear people say sometimes when they, when they are asked to help with one thing or another and they're of a certain age, I did that when I was younger. I put my time in. I served then. And I don't think that's how a walk with Christ is supposed to work. I don't think that's how a walk with Jesus is supposed to, to move. If I'm in Jesus, I'll change. I won't be able to help it. So I'm going to test myself. 
So here's what we're going to do at the end of the service. I want to challenge you to make a commitment in one of these three areas, or make two or three commitments. I want to challenge you to think about pushing yourself. If you're not a person who reads or prays uh, often, I want to challenge you, challenge you to read or pray. And uh, the praying thing, uh, I'll get real practical with it. I challenge you to pull out your smartphone and uh, set an alarm at a certain time that you're just going to pray. And just make that your commitment. Whenever the, the, the clock hits this time, I'm going to pray. And it's not about praying for 40 minutes. It's just remembering to focus on God during that moment. When the alarm rings, I'm going to pray. You don't do it forever. Do it for a few weeks. See, see if God doesn't use that to help move you a little bit. Or pray for somebody. If you've got somebody who you know is going through some awful thing, you say, at this time every day, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to, just for a few minutes, I'm going to lift them up and see if God doesn't move in their life. See if you can't see God affecting things. Commit to pray. At the very least, commit to be here. You know, when you come in here, you'll at least hear a Bible lesson and we'll all worship together. You may not dig all the songs. That's okay. Not everybody's going to dig all the songs, but they're not for you. They're for Him. And so you focus on the words and you try real hard to focus on their best you can and you give praise and prayer to God and, and make that commitment. That's one commitment you can make. Second commitment you make, make a commitment to, to, to start investing in small groups of some sort. There's a blue card in front of you in the pew rack. There's different things you can commit to on that blue card. Uh, you can say something about how I want to be baptized or I want to join a small group that's on there. You could check that, and, and we'll get back with you. And so, well, here's two or three groups that are, would probably be a good fit for you or for your family. Would you think about that? And, and decide to try it. Now, if you go and they're all weird, um, well, then, then that's the wrong group. We only have one group like that, though, that's all weird, and so we'll send you to another group. And maybe in the other group, you'll, you'll find some people that are going through the same thing you're going through. But there's power in that. And then third, on the generosity thing, just push yourself. Now, again, it's money, but it's not just money. So on the money stuff, push yourself to give just a little more. Or if you've got a pretty big savings account, push yourself to write a $1,000 check to some ministry that really needs it. And, and, and I'm aware that, that, that my salary comes from your offerings. And so there's a possibility that somebody could be listening to this and saying, oh, I see what's going on. I see what's happening here. He just lined in his own pocket. So if you feel like that at all, don't give it here. I, I mean, as clearly as I could say it, just don't give it here. Give it to, to Hope Resource. They're trying to help young women who are thinking about ending their pregnancy to not do that. Give it to uh, Bertha's Place or, or, or Life Food Pantry. They're feeding people in Bedford who are hungry. Man, they need help all the time. They're just constantly going through money. Give it to Becky's uh, Shelter, which houses women who, who don't even have a place to stay, or to the Men's Warming Shelter, which during the winter will house men who don't have a place to stay. I'm driving through Bedford, and I, and I see two or three people who look like they've got no place to stay. Just driving through town. That's our town. And so if you don't think we're the right place for it, give it to somebody else. I told you about this bed ministry. Every dollar this bed ministry does that we're doing is going to build a kid a bed. All the money's going out. We're not keeping anything. We're going to build the kid a bed. We're going to give him a, a, a bedspread and a blanket and a sheet and a pillow. And we're going to give a kid in a bed. And there are kids in our community who don't have that. And so you could do that. And all the money goes right out of here. Give it to another church. You know, um, uh, if you think some other church needs it more than us. It's not about us. 
It's about you and your walk with Christ. But it's not just money. And again, money is just the, the smallest part of this thing to me. It, it, it's, um, it's about your life. And, and think about jumping in to help. If you've got kids who are, who are uh, in school age or, or, or younger kids, think about volunteering there somewhere. If, if, if you're a grandparent, think about volunteering someplace with the kids or, or something uh, with the, the, the church and what we're trying to do. Find someplace to kick in there and serve. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, just singing on the stage. There's lots of different places where, where you can jump in and give a hand, and, and there's something so powerful about you doing it. And again, you can use that blue card just to write down, I'm interested in serving where would be a good place, and we will get back with you and try to help you with that. And I know the risk of any of these sorts of commitments. I, I know it. If I was sitting in your pew there, I would feel it. Oh, man, I feel the noose tightening up around my feet or around my neck, and how am I going to get out of this if I jump in? You're not signing up for the rest of your life. You're just testing to see if God will come through like he says he'll come through. You're testing to see if following his ways will make sense. I think you're allowed to do that, but I'm willing to wager that they will make sense. And as you invest deeper and deeper and deeper into the Lord, you're going to be blessed. You're going to see your life changing, and you're going to see Christ moving in you. So I'm going to pray with you for all those things. As I pray, I'll have the band come back up, and let's pray about all that right now. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you right now for anybody who's here, and truthfully, just coming here this morning was, was a miracle. There's so many things going on in their life. Just to be here this morning is all they really can commit. I pray for them, first of all, God, that you bless them. You know, and if that's where they're at, then that's where they're at. And, and that happens to all of us at different times. I pray for the ones, God, who as they're listening to some of the things I'm saying, they know that there's been parts of their Christian life that they've either neglected or have, have just decided not to pursue. And so I pray, God, that, that for those people who could do more, who, who, who have been richly blessed by you already, God, who have, who have seen you move in their life so powerfully already, that they'll take that next step of commitment to you. That, God, you'll move in their life and, and that you'll empower them to do the things that they're supposed to do. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as we close up here at the end,